Good morning. I am... Actually, you know what? I have, I have props today. I didn't leave this laying out because I was afraid someone would throw it away because it looks like trash because it's supposed to look like trash. So, set my props down. Yes, I have two knives today. This one and the one I normally carry. So, but this one, this one is more of a knife, right? Or should I say it's a knife, right? That's a knife. So, um, this is going to be part of a prop this morning. So, no, I'm not here. We're not, there's not rattlesnakes in the bag. There's nothing strange going on. Uh, it's going to be part of a picture that God showed me uh, as we went through this. And all of that sounds really scary. So, please, uh, stick with us. God showed me. So, you know, it's really sad that, that the weirdos get that statement now, isn't it? Like if someone says, God showed me, all of a sudden people are like, oh, great. You know, there's going to be some weird light. There's going to be noises. There's probably weird tinkling sounds going on or whatever. But realistically, we should be able to say that, right? We should be able to say that as Christians, that God showed us something. Well, I'm going to say it. God showed me something. So put your seatbelt on. Put your big boy pants on. We're going to dig into Colossians 2 today. And I want to talk about something that I think we all, well, some of us don't necessarily struggle. As some of us, it's a delight. But how many of you have a very specific or unique craving? <laughs> don't worry, I'm not going to ask, are you pregnant? Okay, it was only one guy that raised his hand anyways. Raise your hand if you know, like you've got a craving. Like you could be sitting there and it's like, you know what, I want this right now. How many of you, let's see a raise of hands, how many of you, when you crave something, you're a salty craver? That's me, right? Praise the Lord, we do have Christians in here. All right, now here's the other side. How many of you, how many of you are not sweet like me and need something sweet when you crave? Right? You're not sweet enough. Okay, good. So some of us crave sweet things, some of us crave salty things. Now here's the thing. When do you crave it? 11.04 when you're supposed to be going to sleep, right? You're, you're, you're sitting there and just like, oh, oh my gosh, I want a pint. I want a full pint of ice cream. I had to finish that out there. <laughs> ice cream. <laughs> this isn't the hobbits. It comes in pints. Although that may be a craving at that point. I don't know. We have to have it. We have to have it. Now, many of us cannot. It, it, it doesn't feel like you can't. It doesn't feel like we can't. We literally cannot function or think or do anything unless we take care of that craving. We, don't, we know that feeling. Some of us, it's impulses. I had a friend of mine. He was abused as a kid. And if you woke him up by touching him in the morning, he would, he would punch you. And what happened was he, was he was abused. And so he had this constant re- fight response. And he was touched while he was asleep. He would swing. He had an impulse. And I remember we're at summer camp, and it's a sad story, but it's funny in the end because he's laying in the bunk bed, and one of the guys goes, hey, let's mess with him. And I said, guys, seriously, don't do that. He, he, he will come with his right and swing and hit you, and I'm telling you, you're going to be on the ground. He's like, oh, whatever. I can, I can. I'm like, all right. So I sat back, and I watched. And he went up, and he's like, boo. And the guy just went, wham, wham, right up. Knocked him right into the other bed. It was an impulse. There wasn't even something he had to think about. It was an immediate response to a situation. Now, it's sad that he had those kind of impulses. Here's the other thing. This kind of really digs into lusts. That's what the, the, the scriptural term of lust really means, is that it's this deep-seated 
physical desire that draws us to almost this lack of control in the situation. Some of us, it could be ice cream. Some of us, it could be, you know, a a bowl of your favorite salty treats. Some of us, it could be all the way to the deep, dark depths of addiction to pornography. There's all kinds of things that pull on us, our desires and, and, and our impulses. And here's the thing. Christian or not, you talk to anyone who has those kinds of issues or struggles, what's the one statement we always say? I just don't feel like I can control it. It, feels like it's, it just feels like, there's, like I have to do it. I, I feel like there's kind of a way out, but it's just like I, I have to do it. It just constantly pulls at me and pulls at me and pulls at me. Now, some of us are saying, well, no, that, that's not really true. God gives us deliverance and everything. That, those are true facts, but it's ignoring the reality that we all struggle with. And the reality is each of us has different struggles. We do. And that's why Paul writes in, in almost every letter that he writes to the different churches, he, he draws on this dead person that we drag around with us constantly. He says it to the Ephesians. He says it to the Galatians very forcefully. He says it to the Colossians in a little bit more gentle of a tone because he's reminding them in this, during this time of spiritual struggles and spiritual abuse that's going on, don't forget the facts of where you really are at. So we're going to start kind of in reverse today. We're actually not going to study these two verses, because they set some, but they set some context. We're going to study these in depth next week. So uh, I do have to say this morning, I almost, I almost started finishing out the teaching for next week because they tie so closely together. I'm, I'm telling you, um, if you see someone that normally comes here and you don't see them here today, get them here next week because the connection from this weekend and next weekend is huge. How many of you have ever had the conversation with someone about keeping the Sabbath? Anybody? How many of us never have a good answer for it? Everybody raises their hand. It, 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 there's so many things. What about the celebrations that go on, the, the, the different feasts and things like that? All the, I'm telling you, these, these next few weeks are going to be impactful for us because it helps us understand things that maybe we've, we've thought we had the Christian answer. We didn't know why that answer was right. And most of the time, someone who was of the other camp could destroy us in that. Or at least not even listen to us because we just gave a Christian answer. So I'm excited to dig into Scripture with you guys. So let's scoot down in chapter 2 of Colossians. Scoot down all the way to verse 16. And the reason I'm doing that is, I even wrote it in my Bible. You can't even see it. But I wrote around verses 13 through 15 the word victory. But the reason or the response that we should have and and, and the compulsion that we have that's, that's taken care of is here, verse 16. Therefore... Remember, therefore, or some of your versions would say so. So, let no one, and I even highlighted no one, judge you in food or drink regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance, and and, and in reality, the Greek word there is is body. It literally is talking about a, a physical body. The body is of Christ. So if we start there, we we understand the context that that Paul's getting ready to help them understand. Listen, there's a foundation, there's something to rest this therefore on. Whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, it's resting on some other foundation. It's not just there for a command. Often the therefore is the command, and prior to that is the how. And sometimes actually the why in this case. So we've set that context Let's dig in now, verse 11. That's where we're going to start, and we're going to go through all of that this morning. So verse 11. 
Remember, we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about his fullness. We're talking about that Christ is God. And verse 11 says, In him you were also circumcised, with the circumcision made without hands, by the putting off of the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. Now, how many of us just love that whole conversation about circumcision? All, all the guys are kind of adjusting. It's, it's not a conversation that you're like, oh, is, is that what the prop's for, Pastor? No, that's not what the prop's for. I actually was a little bit worried about having a knife up here for the circumcision teaching, but it's not, that's not even what we're talking about, okay? Verse 12, we have got to keep going. Buried with him, buried with Jesus, in baptism. I wish I could stay calm, and this is, there's so much here. We, 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 no, we're not going to pre-teach. Let me just, we're going to keep reading here. In which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So let's, let's pause there. And, and let me just draw on a little bit for a very short time. Why circumcision? Why did that even get brought up? If, if you're into studying more of this and you want to see what the Old Testament says, you can write these two verses down. Genesis 17 this is when the, the first uh, circumcision was called for, that covenant was begun. Genesis chapter 17, the whole chapter, read it all. And then you can also see the deeper spiritual side of it that God was getting at in Deuteronomy 10. So Deuter- uh, Genesis 17 and then Deuteronomy 10, 16 through 18 is what you want to write down. And you'll put that next to the first point this morning for us to think about. And it's, it's very, very important for us to realize this. Circumcision was proof that they had committed. Here's, here's the key. We talked about communion last week. We've talked about a baptism before, and I'll, I'll talk more about it coming up this, this summer because um, I know we have some folks that have recently gotten saved, and so we're going to have a baptism. But circumcision was proof that they had committed to serving Yahweh alone and were part of the covenant. That's all it was. It was proof. It was, it was that step of faith. It was that, that, that physical evidence. Now, that's not exactly exciting because Abraham when it happened, was not eight days old. He was more like 80. Now, how many of us is like, hey, happy birthday? You're, you're 80 years old. What do you get? How many of you saw Robin Hood Men in Tights? Anybody? The little, the little guillotine? You guys are like, man, is there not anywhere that you won't go, Pastor Joe? Actually, there is, and the recording keeps me accountable. Here's what I want us to think about. Let me, let, me, let me show you this because there's three or four major points we're going to hammer out right after this. I want to read you from a, a slightly different translation, which is far better in this case for what the original Greek is saying. These, okay, these different religious practices, the physical activities, here we go, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the, bo- get this, but the body that casts the shadow belongs to Christ. Now think of that. How many of you have this like giant in your mind and you're walking along and you have these little ants and they're running around, they're going, oh no, a massive storm is coming, something horrible is happening because there's a shadow going over them. And as that body approaches, you begin to have certain things that happen to you because of that. But when that body gets there, it's a whole different experience. It's like having the shadow from the, the, the clouds and the sun. You may have no rain over you at the time, but because of where that cloud is, it casts a shadow over you and it affects your life. But you don't have the direct effects until the cloud is directly over you and impacting you at that time. 
That's what the, the point is getting across here. See, the, the, the focus here, and you'll see these points. We're going to kind of go through them a little bit rapid fire here. The first point is this. Before Christ, the physical was a reminder of what was coming spiritually, always. It was never the intent to be a precursor to Jesus. In fact, if you truly read and study Leviticus, there is no, no sacrifice that removes sins. None. There was never a sacrifice for sins. Hebrew says that. It was always this, this progression towards making sure that these people were set apart for the Messiah. So here, as, as we continue to press, we have this physical was always a reminder of what was coming spiritually. The next one is this. After Christ, the physical, you guys need to go, there's several points in here. The physical is a reminder of what has happened spiritually. So the first point is, before Christ, the physical was a reminder of what was coming spiritually. After Christ, the physical is a reminder of what has happened spiritually. It's that symbol of what had happened. So you have, the physical is constantly with us. There's this constant misunderstanding, this mistranslation of what we actually have going on in the physical. What was the first temptation? The first temptation was the enemy coming to those in the garden and saying, well, did he really say this and point them to a physical definition of the spiritual command that was given? The first few chapters of our scripture document, get your eyes off the spiritual, look at the physical, and what is it that depresses us and crushes us the most when we're focused on the physical around us? It's easy to be unthankful when we look at the physical world around us. It's easy to get overwhelmed when we look at the physical world around us. It's easy to get to a point where we don't have any hope, we don't want to do anything at all when we look at the physical around us. Here's two foundation repair statements I want us to consider this morning. The first one is this. Nothing I do physically changes the spiritual. Now, I think all of us are sitting here thinking, well, wait a second. What, what if I shot someone? What, what, what if I committed adultery? What if I yelled at someone? That, that's a physical action that happened. And, and I could be changing the spiritual status of somebody else by doing that. No. Here's the next point. Everything I do spiritually changes the physical. Remember, Jesus said it always happens here first. It always happens inside here first. No murder, no adultery, no, no freak-out session of yelling at your wife and kids, yelling at someone on the road happened because, well, everything was perfectly fine inside. It's just the outside that did it. No, it always stems from the inside. It always stems from our response to our God. The reason I said those two together, and, and some of them are kind of to draw on, and I think we should be bothered by that. Some of you might not like the first point. I don't know if I agree with that. I think we can do physical things that, that what? That make us holy? Nope. Name anything physical that we could do that would make us holy. Nothing. There's nothing. And it's a struggle for us. In fact, I, when I wrote this point down, I struggled writing it. Like, well, well you know, there, there could be this. No. No, I can't influence and change my God's opinion just because I physically did something. It has to happen here inside of me. That's always where that, the power comes from, is, is the transformation of me on the inside. 
Here's what Paul is getting at in verses 11 and 12 when he talks about this, this circumcision to the flesh. And, and, and I wanna, I'm going to kind of pull on this prop a little bit. It'll probably bother you guys, and I don't know, maybe we'll have a good YouTube video out of it. But the next point is we start this for a Christian, for someone, and I'm, and I'm being very specific, for someone who is really, really connected to God. Here's the point. Not living a life, okay? Not living a life controlled by my desires and emotions is proof of my commitment to God. It's just proof. It's not what makes me committed to God. I know a lot of people. In fact, I know a guy actually who, who lives uh, down south. He is probably more moral than most Christians I know, and he doesn't give a care about his creator. But he is better as a person. He is nicer. He gives big tips. He, he constantly lets people in line. He is constantly one of the most caring, moral, ethical people I have ever known. And, but he's not going to heaven. There's nothing on the outside that's going to fix the inside. And, by the way, we all know that, that when winter starts to end and our car looks like the seventh bowl of judgment was emptied into it, and we go through the car wash, what changes on the inside? Well, if it leaks, then something changes. But if it doesn't leak, nothing changes on the inside. Now, if you've got one of those like, 12, 15-passenger vans and you kind of put it at an angle, you can pressure wash the thing out, but you cannot change the inside by the outside. You can't sit here and scrub your skin and scrub your skin and get rid of some sort of disease that's inside of our body. We have to battle it on the inside and go out. In fact, a lot of physical medicine is starting to find many of the outside problems we see with skin and eyes and hair and nails and all of that all started on the inside of our bodies. It's not a cream that we need on the outside. It's a fixing on the inside. So here's what I'm going to do. He starts getting nervous again. I have here a bag. It's actually some stinky pillows and I think one piece of trash. I here have a bag. Let's look. Verse 11 says this. You were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of the flesh. So, I am going to see if I can do this. I'm going to put a zip ties. Let's hear, let's, let's hear a praise for some zip ties here. All we need is Jesus and zip ties, all right? So, we got zip ties and I've got this as I'm walking around dragging. And number, number one, is that a distraction to you all? Does that bother you at all? So if, if all of a sudden, and here's some, follow me here because this is what we do in our lives. If I all of a sudden try and turn, what's going to happen? I'm going to get tripped up. What does Paul say? Put off those things that so easily entangle us. What does he say here? Listen, don't forget. I'm going to distract you guys the whole time, and this is, a, this is a picture for us all. Don't forget that what happened was not the little guillotine. It was the actual cutting off of the, the, the fleshly person, the old man, the dead man that drags us down into that sin. That's what was cut off. That's what was gotten rid of. The fact that we were bound to that. And I might have made these too tight. I'm going to lose feeling here. We're bound to that. Now, what happens when I'm walking around hooked up to this cadaver here? I'm knocking things down. I'm knocking people down. Now, what am I doing as a Christian if I'm doing this? What am I doing? I'm knocking people down. 
people are looking at me as a distraction. How many of us have had that person say, oh, praise Jesus, and then you have to bleep out the rest of their conversation? Now, that doesn't mean they're not a Christian, but it means that there's a, there's a, there's a fleshly piece there that constantly jumps in and takes control. I have a, a, a guy I knew that called himself a Christian, loved God, started dating a girl, and actively, relatively openly, not, not in a crude way, but people always knew it, were living together and having active sex together. Tried to continue to serve in the church. Knew what Scripture had said, but said, you know what, we're, we're pretty much sure we're going to be getting married anyway, so let's just kind of... You guys know I'm not nice. I had a very stern conversation with this guy. I said, you can carry the name of Jesus or you can carry your name, but stop doing both. I said, because the Jesus I serve, the Jesus that I, that I know died for everything, did not die so we can drag around this death with us and claim that Jesus is all in it. Because he's not. Jesus came along and cut us free. He provides that suffering, that, that cutting off of the old man. I'm going to leave this old man tied to me for just a few more minutes. Because here's the next thing. Verse 13. And you, being dead in your trespass and the circum- uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses having wiped out the handwriting requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities, powers. By the way, those are not people. Those are the same Greek words used in Ephesians of spiritual powers and forces. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So here's what happens. You guys see I've got a card up here. It's a list, okay? It's a list of things that I've done wrong. And right on top of this is my list of everything I've done wrong. I've got this bag of trash. I've got this dead body. And every time I look at it, what do I see? Here's what you're not good at. Here's what you've done wrong. Here's all the ways that you're not, go- you're not going to be good. You're not going to heaven. All This list of things that are tied to that old dead person that we drag around. Now, as Christians, God comes along, and I don't want a hole, and he says this, I've set you free. But here's what he says, I didn't set you free so that you can just go and pick up, and and Galatians 6 says this, pick up and go, well, oh, there was that one cool thing back there that I used to do. And, and we go into the trash bag, and, and we pull it open, and we're like, God, I just, I just want this one thing. Just, just this one thing right here. I mean, I, I, know, what you, I, know, what you, I know what you said, and, 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 and I know Pastor Joe told me these things, and, but it's just, it's just the one, just the one God. You know, can, can, I, can, can I just have one thing? And we, and we go back, and we're like, well... I mean, it wasn't that tight. Maybe I could put it on loose this time, you know. And, and we come up, and we're like, "Well, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna leave it down here, okay? And, and, and then I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna put it right here. And I'm gonna go to church. I'm gonna be like, yeah, absolutely, pray, praise, praise the Lord, praise, absolutely, praise the Lord, praise, absolutely, Lord, speak to me, search me, know me. God, please, please, just show me what in my life you want me to take care of. 
we've hooked back the old man to us. And, and we walk through life and, and, and we wonder, like, God, why is it every single time there's, there's just something goes on and it's like my life falls apart. It's like one day it's perfect and then tomorrow it's like everything's, everything's falling apart. We went back and we put the stinky thing back on. We put it back on. It's another great example. I went to go iron a shirt this morning. I'm ironing it. I'm ironing it. Iron the front and kind of get to the arm. And I get across the pit. And I'm like, ho, ho, that shirt wasn't clean. And throw it back in the wash. We, we find ways and we, and we pull on and we add back to our lives things that never should have been there because God cut it off. It's gone. He cut us off of that. So that is why this is being written here. For us as Christians, for these people as Christians to realize, don't forget, realize that that there is nothing else you need to add to this, number one. Number two, you have to realize that there's there's a situation that God has, has cut off the old dead man. Don't go back to that. Don't go back to the stinky. Here's another point for us to think about. Jesus' work, it's always, always been to remove the dead weight. He didn't come along and say, well, that's a black bag, but if we arrange it, it's a chair. He, he didn't come to make it prettier. He didn't come to go, well, you know what, here, I'm just here to help carry it for you and leave us bound to this. Because here's the other part of this. When you read verse 15 and verse 14 and 15, this right here has a sentence of death to burn in hell forever. If it's connected to me, where do I go? With it. Amen. There is so that's scary. There is so much that scripture shows us that it's this picture is it. He cut us off because this is going. This is gone. Here's the other part for us. These powers and principalities, they have a right to us because of what happened many, many years back. They have a right to this. We gave ourselves over to them. You read the story of the Tower of Babel. You read through all these things throughout the Old Testament. The human race has been enslaved to the spiritual world. And Jesus came to cut off And that is why it is such a humiliation to that spiritual world when Jesus came and shows up in hell and says, hey, by the way, I'm the most high. I'm taking them all with me. I'm paying the debt, and it's over. That's humiliating because now what happens? Well, we have a problem for the spiritual world. And I'm going to cut this off for good in a second because it's starting to irritate me. Here's the next point for us to think about. Jesus severed the ties, and and I called it this anchor of death, because it is. When it gets thrown in the water, man, it's taken us. By the way, have any of you, and and raise your hand, be humble about this, any of you ever had the anchor rope hooked onto you or something else when you threw it in the water? I better not be the only person. I've lost a fishing rod that way. I love fishing with my little kids, and I remember throwing it out, the rope caught it, fishing rod goes, out into the water. And then we were on a big boat in the Bahamas, and my brother was standing there. My dad said, chuck the anchor out. My brother wasn't paying attention. It was wrapped around his leg, and it just kind of slid him up to the edge of the boat, 
and the anchor's hanging off the boat while it's wrapped around his leg. It's a good picture. It's really bothering me. We have an anchor of death, and it was cut off, but we still, we were designed to have an anchor. And so that's where we have that song, uh, uh, He's an Anchor for Us. He is an anchor for our soul. There is something that roots us and grounds us and holds us, and it's our Creator. And he's our, we go from an anchor of death that drags us constantly. Why do I have to sin, God? Why do I have no choice, God? Because an anchor drags us into it, but with our anchor firmly set in Christ. We sit controlled by him, saved by him. And that's where Paul is getting it when he writes to the, to the Colossians here. Here's the next thing he says. You being dead, uh, um, in verse 13, in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive. And that's not a period. That's not a comma. He said he has made alive together with him. So we were dead and alone with the dead body hanging off of us. He comes along, and it would be cool if he used this knife because this is a cool knife, and he comes along, cuts it, casts it off, and we've seen the previous verse that it is dead and buried, and now we're made alive with him. That's who we're hooked to now. That's who we're bound to now. But we still have... And you can put the next point on for what the old man wants. We still have. We can still hear it. It's not that bad. Well, it wasn't really that bad. Well, you you only did this one thing. The old man wants control back. There's, There's enticing things that sound so great, and honestly, they feel natural to do them. It's not unnatural feeling. The experience isn't like, well, that was difficult to do. How many of us have ever been like, you know what? I'm having the hardest time sinning today. It's just crazy. It's like every time I try it, I just hit a roadblock. Nobody's ever said that. Nobody. Scripture talks about sin as as crouching and waiting and sitting there. We don't have to seek it out. We trip over it. It's available to all of us. And we're also not the only ones that struggle with it. So here's, here's Paul talking again to the Romans. And let me challenge you. You can put the, the verse up there for now. When, when Paul is talking, when anybody's writing Scripture, we have to realize that these are people with passion. How many of you are, are storytellers? You love to tell a story. Two people? Three people? Four, okay, put your hands down. How many of you are fishermen? There we go. Okay, you're storytellers and liars. Here. So, or, or hunters, you're also liars too. There, there were this many. No, there weren't. So, Paul is writing to the Romans here and, and realize that he, he's having a struggle here. And you can almost see him thinking out loud through all of this. I want to read this, and we're going to pause for just one second because here's something. Paul freaks out in verse 25, and we need to freak out in verse 25 because that's the crux of this teaching. The teaching title is, You're Dead to Me. You're Dead to Me. And there's certain things that we can say, or certain things that we would say that too that impact us. So Romans chapter 7 starts in verse 18. And I know, this is Paul talking, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. The trash bag, 
There's nothing in there. Why does he say, I know nothing good? Because he's tempted to go back, and he has to say, no, there's nothing good that is in there. I can't go back to that. There's nothing good in me. I want to do what is right, but I can't. There's constantly, go to the next verse. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Now, I know Paul's the only one, and this is a hard one to relate with, isn't it? I mean, none of us really go through this struggle back and forth. It's like every day, it's like, oh, Jesus, yes, sir, I've got it. How far? I'll jump double. No, that's not what we do. He says this, but if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. Why? Because Paul's realizing that he's gone back to this old man, and it's drawing, and he's pulling on this sin, and it's making it stinky, and the new man now is a dirty man. And he says, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is a sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle of life, he says, that what I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war within my mind. This power makes me slave to the sin that is still within me. Keep going. And we'll stop here. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me? Leave it at this question. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Paul's going through this this lifetime battle of never able to win sin. Paul, of anyone ever throughout time, knew all the physical activities that should have happened that should have gotten rid of his sin religiously. He was the perfect Pharisee, the Pharisee of Pharisees. Pharisees wanted to be like, everyone wanted to be like Paul. He had the little Paul poster, you know, with like the four multicolored, and he's kind of stood there. Everybody had it in their little, the little rooms. I want to be like Paul one day. He's the best. He had good genetics. Again, physical. He also had no choice in that matter. It's not like he could brag in genetics. None of us can. Although I do when my kids do something well. I'm like, claiming genetics. Paul looks at this and says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life? dominated by sin and death. Paul is a spunky Jewish guy flipping out in this letter saying, I I don't know what to do about this. You guys don't understand what to do about it either. You don't know what to do about it. Then he gets to verse 25. Now get ready. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave. I've constantly got this draw, this draw. Now one day, that's going to burn up and it's gone. And I never have to, to worry about it again. I don't ever have to hear the voices again. Drawing at me, pulling at me. But for now, we have this walk that has this struggle back and forth of, man, I used to be able to do it. I used to be able to do this and that, but I can't now. And we have to constantly deny the flesh and deny the flesh and lay that and sacrifice it before God. Let it go before God. There's a constant pull. I believe in the spiritual world there's also an enticing, which is why the verse is up there. Because I think what happens sometimes is The spiritual world comes along and says, oh, come on, Joe, relax. Take, just take a look in here. I mean, wow. Seriously, Joe, come here. Check it out. Ch- check it out. I mean, look, right here. Do you realize that? You know what that's called? It's called watching Facebook. 
That's called get, getting a photo from, from a family member. By the way, everything on Facebook, believe the opposite about people's lives because no one posts like, oh, yeah, you know, just tripped and fell, hit my face in the toilet. No, that doesn't get posted. You know, the friends might post it. I, I would post it. But, but that's what happens is, is we look inside this like, yeah, Joe, come on. Check that out. Look at that. That's not even me involved. There's, there's power in the spiritual world trying to draw me back because the spiritual world has control over that. What they do not have control over is the new man and the new woman in Christ. That's the freedom that we have. That's where the victory is. The victory is not in being good enough and Christian enough. It's not going to the right church. It's not going through the right motions of anything. It's truly living that life 100% sacrificed to Jesus. Every single desire we have to put away. And that's not easy. Because some of us have marriages where maybe they happened for reasons that we didn't think about. Some of us have friendships that are constantly strained. Some of us are forced to live next to someone or work with someone that constantly is sitting there going, you know what, if you just pulled out that one little thing that you used to do in your flesh, you could probably shut this down, Joe. And it's probably right, but to what end? Go ahead and strap that zip tie right back on your lead and pull it tight. Hook that dead man back up and start dragging that cadaver around through life again. See, because of Christ in our life, Here's a couple things I want us to think about. Because of Christ in our life, and again, this is this, this massive foundation that Paul is trying to dig at because we get stuck. Here's the first point. Because of Christ in our life, we are not handcuffed, or in this case, zip-tied, to happiness only coming from me meeting every desire. And we know that. We know what that feeling is, whether we are a Christian or not, or we remember our old life. We know the feeling, that desire to constantly go and just, man, if I just had one more of those, one more of these, if this was a little faster, if this was a little bit nicer, if this was a little shinier, if this was a little tastier, if this was whatever, we are constantly pulled on that. And as Christians, especially in this country, if you want to get challenged on on your life and, and how we view Things in our life and our priorities in life, read a Radical by David Platt. That'll fix perspective. We are not put here on this earth with the goal of having a successful career and a happy family. We are put here on this earth to serve the Almighty Creator for His glory alone, and that's it. Everything for a Christian is surrounded by ministry. What about career? It's a means to fulfilling ministry. What about family? It's a means to fulfilling ministry. What about your wife? It's a means to fulfilling ministry. What about relation to God? It's a means to fulfilling ministry. Well, that's nice for you, pastor. No, I didn't say church services. We all are called to the ministry, every single one of us. And that's what our job is as Christians, is to to seek out what it is that God wants to do us in ministry. This, I'm telling you, this over the past six months is transforming my view on, on godly parenting. We all like the thought of, you know, get work with your kids, understand their gifts and their talents so they can have a job, what, that they, come on, that they like, that they're happy in, that they're fulfilled in, which you'll never be happy, you'll never be fulfilled, and you'll never like it. I know. Already been through it. Many of us have been through the career world. And, and you know how many men that finally retire die within a year of retirement because they sacrificed everything that mattered to them by retiring. 
How many men, when they lose their job, feel like they failed their family, feel like they failed their God, feel like they're a failure themselves? Because that's what defined us. How many of us sometimes just hate going to work? I, I don't want to be there today. I don't want to be around those people. I don't care about them at all. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of the drama. I'm sick of the stupidity. I'm sick of having to deal with all these different things. I should be doing something more important. If I could only work at a church. Yeah, that's the real world. I get, when I'm here on Thursdays and Fridays and other times in the week, I get out of here as soon as I can. Go hang out at Starbucks and talk to some people there. Go, go to a restaurant somewhere else. Go somewhere else and meet with someone. Talk to people. Meet with people. Because that's what really matters. God didn't say, go into all the world. Well, actually, just kidding. Go create a place and then tell them to come to you. That's not what he said. That's not what he said. So getting back to the notes, and you guys, whoever needed that, that's for you. We're not handcuffed to seeking out happiness, to try and meet every desire that we have. See, as a non-Christian, and even with our, still, our flesh still attached as a Christian, our only way to get happy is to meet those desires. And it's a sick cycle because we can't meet the desires. It's like trying to pour water into a pipe that doesn't have a bottom on it. We're just pouring. It's like, well, well let, me get, let me get more water. That'll help. No. Put a cap on the pipe. That's the goal. Here's the next thing. Because of Jesus, we are severed from the control of trying to fill an unfillable cup. That is controlling. How many of you ever watched the show Lost? Anybody? How many of you hate yourself for watching it to the end? Stupidest ending in the universe. If you're going to watch it, don't watch the last episode. Actually, don't you just watch the last, like, five minutes. No, two minutes. Anyways. What did our boy have to do on the island every certain number of minutes? Press the red button. Why are you doing it? I don't know, but I've got to press it. I've been told that something horrible will happen. Press the red button. Press the red button. Press the red button. Press the red button. That's what we're all doing without Christ. We go back to something where we try and fill that unfillable cup. Here's the next thing. We're alive, and and this is an important part of the verse. We are alive by and with Jesus. So now we have a choice. See, before Jesus, I didn't have a choice. I had my tether. I was hooked, boom, locked, didn't have a choice. There there was no choice I had. But now that that's severed, I have a choice. I can go back this way or I can go back this way. Well, Joe, yeah, that's, that's nice for like a new Christian who's struggling with things. I'm sorry, but Christianity is not a moment. It's a lifestyle. And if we have victory over something in our life and we don't think we'll ever go back to that again, trust me. There's another rock right in front of us to trip over. There's always something in life that's going to come at us. Why? Because we have opposition. We have opposition against us, opposition that isn't winning and won't win, but we have opposition. Now, here's our choice, and and you'll see I just talked about both of those. Number one is this. We have this choice. We can go back and try to meet the desires that could never be met before. Now, let me just be specific because talking with someone recently, and one of the things they said was, you know, Joe, I really struggle with teachings that are constantly about, you know, the old man and the new man and salvation and everything. It just feels like it's kind of, you know, seeker sensitive, and it's not getting into the meat of the scriptures. And I looked and I said, and I've said this to a couple different people, I said, 
So you're telling me that Christianity is not about a choice of choosing the old man versus the new man every single moment of our life. If we don't realize that, we need to look down and check the zip tie in our ankle. Because the old man always wants to be reconnected. Always. Always. We, we have different ways that we've, we've let it in. And in fact, most of the time, depression and disappointment and, and distaste for what's going on in the world comes from us going back to trying to meet desires that could never be met. I sat there in my devotion time this morning. I was a Captain Grumpy Pants. I was sitting there and I'm like, you know what, God? Forget it all. This is dumb. And he says, so what have I done for you lately, Joe? I ran out of room on my paper and had to go to the next page. That whole attitude of gratitude completely shifts our focus. Because what I was listing off before was God. All these fleshly desires aren't being met. This, this person hurt my feelings, and this person's this, and that's that, and these things are this. And I'm listing off all the ways that the old man is offended and bothered. And he said, hold on a second. I make all things new. So what's going on here with your life with me? And the bullet list just gets longer and longer and longer. And longer and longer and longer. For those who have been following Christ, it's even longer and longer and longer. But we forget it sometimes. Because here's choice number two. Go forward and actually meet our real desires. Because there's really only one thing we need, and that's a relationship with our Creator. Everything else just flows through that. That's why he says abide, connect and abide. And then life comes, and you're spurred on to action. You can't sit idle and just be like, yeah, you know, I'm kind of I'm thinking I'm going to do this and that and this and that, and I'm, I'm praying about praying, you know. I'm going to make sure that I, if I'm going to make sure I'm supposed to have a good prayer life, I'm going to pray about that. We do that. I forget who it was I was talking with, and uh, I was meeting with someone in my office, and they said, I said to them, I said, hey, you going to sign up for this class? And Well, you know, Pastor, um, I'm going to pray about it. And I said, why? Well, I'm just not sure if I'm supposed to do it. Are you a guy? Well, yeah. Is it a class for guys? Yeah. Did your pastor set it up there so that anybody can sign up for it? Yeah. Is there space in the thing? Yeah. What are you praying about? Are you studying the Bible? Yeah. What else are you going to pray about? For God to go, you should do it. Here, ready? Close your eyes. You should do it. Why do we do that? Do we do that when we go to McDonald's, God, at number three and number four? No, we need to be praying for forgiveness when we leave, but not. there's just crazy stuff we do, isn't there? Why? So we can not, I'm not sure, because if I, if I do that one, then I can't do that one. Because it bothers me. It really bothers me. Verse 15 highlights a massive amount of theology I wish I could cover more of. But there is a contract on our life, every one of our lives. This bag right here has a contract out on it. The depths of hell are what it's destined for. But Jesus came to cut that zip tie off and get rid of it for good. Get rid of it for, for, for good. And so he disarms them. And because of Jesus, there is nothing in the way of us being with our creator now. Nothing. 
Here, here's the things, and I'm going to kind of go through this somewhat rapid. He, he offers to free us from our slavery. So there's nothing in, 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 in this situation where I'm in the way. Because he says, I will cut that off. You don't have to worry about it. You're not in the way anymore. Here's the next thing he says. He removes all the junk that we put in our path. This religious system, you can see it here in verse 14. Wiped out the handwriting or requirements that was against us. He removed the, the, the piles of junk. How many of you have ever gone down your favorite hiking trail? And then right in the middle of it, it's like a refrigerator and piles of clothes and junk and everything. It happened to us the other day. You got this stuff in the way of getting to our destination. That's what religion, that's what self-imposed kinds of rules. We're going to talk about that next week and the week after. That's what they try and do. But all they do is make hurdles. They make it harder to actually get to where we're supposed to be going. The next thing he said, because of Jesus, he got rid of the power that the spiritual realm had over us. We, ha- we had no ability to say no. We had no ability to actually stop and realize what was going on. Many times for us as Christians, we don't stop and realize what's really going on in our lives. I, I remember, this is actually just a week ago, and I think I had gone most of the day, just something not right. And, and, and most of us would think, you know, well, this person, they've been following Jesus for like 30 years or more, and, 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 and they love Jesus, and, and, and they're a pastor, and, and, and you know, they have these, all these great things about them and all this different stuff, and, and there's Joe too, and, and there's all these different things going on, and, and they should be able to see when something comes against them. It's like, it's got to be immediate that they notice it. No, we're human. We will go, I, I know I went through the whole day. And I even said to someone I was talking with, I'm like, yeah, sorry, I'm just probably, I'm just a little edgy today, just a little frustrated about things. I get home. Just before I'm falling, <laughs> this is what's so frustrating, just before I'm falling asleep, it hits me, the duh moment. Oh, I should have prayed and asked for God to deliver me from whatever was happening. Hmm. We all do it. We all do it. I remember a pastor getting all over another pastor friend of mine. When he said that same thing, he said, you know, I've just been irritable today. He goes, just been irritable. So you think that just something physical is happening and there's no other connection to it at all. He was that probably more condescending. He's like, well, yeah, you know, sometimes we're that way. You don't think there might be something influencing you at all. Well, no. I mean, I, I mean, I got a little edgy with my wife. So no one's against your marriage? No, no there's nothing against your marriage? Nothing against the ministry that's going on. Nothing against you raising godly children. Nothing against speaking the gospel to someone as you're out in the middle of the community. Nothing. And I was quiet. He said, maybe you could have started your day and said, God, I don't know what's against me right now, but I need you to protect me. I need you to remove these powers that are around me. Whatever it is that wants to drive me away from your presence today, they don't have the power. They were disarmed and made a spectacle. They were insulted. They were pantsed, butt naked in front of the entire creation. And I went all day just last week letting them sit there and mess with me. They don't have any power. But I gave it to them. So he got rid of the spiritual realm and the power it had over us. So here's what I want us to think about as we close this morning. 
Because I think a natural response, I know for me it is, and maybe it's not the same for everyone else, and that's fine. I think the natural response that a lot of us have is, you're, you're right, Pastor. I need to make sure that every time I get, I'm just, I'm just I'm killing that. I'm, I'm fighting that flesh. It comes back at me, and I just I get rid of it. And I fight it, and I fight it, and I fight it, and I fight it. That doesn't work very long. We pretty much run out of steam. We run out of the ability to actually do any of that fighting. Now, I'm not saying that fighting the flesh is wrong. I'm saying that that's not the solution because fighting the flesh will happen if we do the other, and that's feed the Spirit. See, because it's that Spirit that gives us the new life. That's why Paul establishes this whole basis. He says, listen, Christ crucified, and and he circumcised, he cut off that dead flesh, and it's gone now, so you don't have that connection. He then says, listen, you don't have these religious systems in there. He, He got rid of them. In fact, he made many of them look foolish while he walked this earth. And then he said, this unseen realm that's around, that's influenced everything, is completely disarmed. In fact, their hands are now zip-tied with no power unless we give it to them. It's over. And he says, come to me. So here's, here's three things I want us to, to think about. This is kind of the, the so what section of, of the teaching because there's a lot of establishing of a foundation that Paul wanted to do. And I... I like to have application points throughout a teaching, but I I struggle with it until establishing that fact because sometimes when we fight the flesh, we we get mad and we say, you know, my flesh won't stay dead. It won't stay away. It, like, starts crawling back. It's it's like, you know, the whole walking dead thing. It's like if you don't hit them right, they just come back and show up, but only when it's dark and quiet, right? And sometimes our response to this flesh fight is we get angry about it. Just, man, I just can't stand this. I just wish I could win this. Or we have a pity party. Man, I'm just so tired of doing the wrong thing. I'm just so tired of just feeling so, ugh. Sometimes the fight in the flesh, we get tired, and then we start running from the things that make us convicted, that make us have that passion to fight the flesh. We run from it. Like, man, mm, wow, that really makes me uncomfortable. I'm not going to go there anymore. Here's three things for us to think about. Number one, to feed the Spirit. Number one, place yourself. We need to, I need to place myself in a place where people, here's the big deal, people love you, love me enough to ask hard questions. And if, if you have not gotten asked a hard question, you haven't been here more than maybe one or two times. That is not, the, 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 the fellowship of, of Christians with Jesus is not about everybody getting massages. It's not about feeling happy and feeling good and everything's fine. Oh, absolutely. Sure, I'll just ignore the, 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 that cadaver you're dragging around. You know, you're, you're good. You're fine. And run. We, we need to have people who are willing to speak into our lives and ask, hey, how you doing? Hey, what's happening with you? Honestly, some of us need to be the one to just simply make a phone call. Hey, what's up? How you doing? Where, where were you this? Or, or what's going on with this? Or, hey, I saw this. Some of us, it might even be the painful question that we're all damaged from because we hate church, and that is, why weren't you at church on Sunday? Some of us need to have that question asked of us. Some of us need to ask that question of others. 
But number one, we need to put ourselves in a position where we have accountability. Number two, we have to start every day, and you can underline that in your notes, highlight it, put it on a banner, staple it to your mirror, and glue it to your forehead. Start every day with time talking to and hearing from our Creator. We have to. If we aren't starting our day, we're immediately going, okay, what am I going to attach to? Am I going to go and attach here, or am I going to go, well, you know what? Didn't get struck by lightning yesterday, so let's go, buddy. What am I attaching to? Stinky pillow almost came out. What am I attaching to? Here's the next thing, number three. We need to be changed and allow ourselves to be changed by God so much that we never shut up about Him. There there should never be a moment. I was having lunch with someone this week, and (laughs) it's so funny. I'm sitting there and talking to them, and I'm getting fired up about evangelism, saying, you know, man, I just, I get so sick of, 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 of these, these people coming to me, and they're hurt by churches, and they're, they're hurt by people around them. And I said, you know what? If we would get off of our butts and be more focused on the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, every church problem would go away. And then I realized we had a waitress I hadn't said anything to except for, you know, hey, you're doing a good job. And so she just so happened to walk back by even after we had paid, and I said, hey, come here. We got a chance to talk with her. She goes to a church here and started asking a lot of questions about us here. And it's interesting that a lot of times it's easy to lose focus. I don't like what I'm doing. I don't like where I'm at. I don't, I don't like this, this job here. But let me tell you what Jesus told me as I had a pity party up in my office I had one of the partners in the firm I was with on a regular basis ripping my face off for no reason. Call me up, cuss me out because his computer didn't work or he didn't like this new security policy I had put in place. Ruthless. He abused some of the women that were in his face. Oh, did not like this person at all. And I remember angry pity party in my office. I said, God, get me out of here. I applied for jobs for six months, not one job showed up that matched, not one callback, nothing. And God said, Joe, where's your heart? And I said, well, let me, let me see. I, I do think of like this guy falling down a flight of stairs twice. He says, Joe, you need to be so convicted that you're never done with a job until everyone has heard the gospel. That's what your job focus should be. And I said, well, well God, I can't get everybody saved here. He says, I didn't say that. You need to work as if that's your goal, that everyone there knows Jesus. You want to talk about a motivation every morning now? You want to talk about seeing the open doors that we never saw before? It's impactful. It's impactful. I even had someone say to me, this was depressing, two years after I've been working there, I started witnessing to them, and they're like, hey, Schoolfield, why in the world are you so stinking religious now? Like, you used to be, like, cool to hang out with or whatever. I'm like, well, I'm not being religious. I said, but I will tell you I was a fake, that the things that should have been impacting my life weren't. And they're like, oh, so, like, you're changed. Yeah. My focus is right now. It changes our perspective. Jesus changes us so much. We're not even close to the old man anymore that we can't stop talking about him just like, 
people tripping over the Jesus in our life instead of tripping over the cadaver we're dragging around? What do we want people tripping over in our life? Let's take a minute here and pray. You can put your Bibles and notes away. Because here's, here's really the challenge for us. I don't care how long any of us have known Jesus in our life. We have somehow, and God dealt with me a lot this week on this, we've somehow gone back and zip-tied that old cadaver back to us. We've reconnected. So here's what I want us to pray about this morning is, as we bow our heads and as we close our eyes and, and we're, we're closing in prayer, I want you to think. I want us all to think. God, where have I either never let go or reattached this old man? Where have I allowed the spiritual world to just drag me down? Where have I put in religious roadblocks that say, if I'm not this way, then I'm not a Christian. I'm not good enough. Because Jesus cut off the dead man, nailed that list of requirements to the cross, and publicly humiliated those spiritual powers that are lying to us right now. If you want to pray with me this morning, just to cut that junk off again, you can raise your hand. Amen. Amen. It's heavy. It's so heavy. Anybody else? Amen. Pray this with me. God, I'm sorry. I acted like the Galatians. I walked away from the grace, tried it on my own. Thank you for forgiving me, though. Please cut this junk off of me. Please help me see the victory over these spiritual forces around me. And God, help me to just run over those hurdles of religiosity and foolishness. Praise you, God, for your deliverance. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me and freeing me from all of those things. Help me to walk it out now. To be in a place where I've got Christians that love on me and care for me, but also push me to be the man and woman of God that you want me to be. May I get close to you daily. May I be that irritating person that never shuts up about my creator. And may we be used to shake the pillars of hell and drag as many out to be with you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen.